but you should have already had church. If you sang these songs with your heart and with your mouth, some of you, you have to open your mouth to sing. We're going to take it after the sermon. Good. The offering, don't let me forget. Uh, Chuck, just uh, let me know that we now have a, available a series we did, Don't Waste Your Life. And in light of the message today, you may want to get this at the bookstore. Uh, that Did you know that most people are wasting their life? No, you don't. That's so weak. You don't know. But I'm going to show you from the Word, okay? And uh, uh, it kind of goes into the message title. Are you tired of serving God? I see some folks, as soon as they get saved, they get tired. They can party all night before they get saved. They get saved, they do good to get here on Sunday. Did anyone ever party till 2 or 3 in the morning and still go to work at 7? Yeah, I see hands, yeah. I know my brother did. He lived with us, I know. Had to wear shades to church because his eyes were so bloodshot from drinking. I know. I know. I know some of you wearing your shades. No, that's okay. <laughs> Sin is a hard taskmaster. I, uh, I come up with this title, and I'm going to tell you where we're going to go. Is a while back, uh, Ron Hughes and Tim and I were talking with a guy, some kind of uh, church fundraising and stuff and thinking of ways to handle our mortgage. Our mortgage is due March. We have to refinance it. See, we got to talk a lot more about money in this church than we want to. You just don't have to do it. But the leaders do. We have to deal with banks and loans and things like that. And while we were there and talking, uh, Ron, I think he was quoting somebody or who knows, could be speaking for himself. Now he won't own it because we're trying to trash it. Uh, we heard this line that went, uh, well, maybe our people are suffering from giving fatigue. Giving fatigue. Could you define that? Well, you know, they're tired of giving. They're tired of stewardship programs. They're tired of offerings after the meeting. Hey, it's fatigue. I just wore out about it. And later, Tim and I felt rebuked that we didn't scream outrage, but it sounded so rational. It sounded kind of good. Giving fatigue. A lot of you've got marriage fatigue. You're looking for another one. Well, honey, if you're wore out from the one you're in, don't get a new one. It's going to take lots of energy for a young one. And you're so old and ugly, you don't have enough of you to give to a young one. So you better hang out. I'm just kind of tired of being married. What do you mean you're tired? Well, I've been married two years. Or, or uh, I have children fatigue. How many do you have? 
Well, I'm just pregnant. I haven't had one yet, but I'm tired. Uh, something I've noticed, nobody's got receiving fatigue. I've known no, no, no one that complains about receiving too much. Uh, I've got to give you this precious little poem. Go break to the needy sweet charity's bread, for giving is living, the angel said. What giving again, I ask in dismay? Must I keep giving and giving away? Oh, no, said the angel, piercing me through. Just give until the Father stops giving to you. Whenever God stops giving to you, find an excuse not to give. But then the Macedonians will outdo you because in deep poverty, they not only gave what they have, but they gave themselves. I looked up this word for fatigue, and I thought it was my biography. It, it says, because I've been sick for a month with this cold, and I hate it because I don't want to whisper when I preach. Let's whisper about sin, but I want to get loud about God. If you don't like that, too bad. You're in the wrong church. I don't think God is a, the undertaker. He doesn't bother. Symbols, clapping, instruments. No. Go to the cemetery. It's quiet and it's orderly. I, I take the book of Psalms to tell me how to do church, not your tradition. Psalms is good enough for me. Listen to what fatigue means. Low energy. Well, this cold, believe me, uh, all, all you want to do is sleep and carelessly say, well, that's all you've been doing most of your life anyway. <laughs> Low energy, exhaustion, tiredness, weariness. The antonym is energy, the opposite of that. So uh, I thought, well, I want to look up the Greek words uh, for this. Couldn't find fatigue but you find the word faint or lose heart from the same Greek words, and it means become weary, tired, to lose heart. It's used that way, to despair. Uh, it was used of a woman getting ready to deliver a child, and she becomes afraid. Uh, and so it was used of fear, so giving in and throwing in the towel that uh, she just is abandoning herself to fear uh, in this process to lose courage, to flag, to faint. And so I looked up the six places in the New Testament where the word is used, and I thought we'd look at it. Uh, let's go to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians, that's in the New Testament. Right after Zechariah. Uh, are you there? Second Timothy. Okay. I'm an antiphonal preacher. Talk back to me. You, you've wanted to talk back to preachers? Talk back. Ushers, take out those who don't agree. Verse 13. Well, let's first of all take verse 11. 
For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life. What's that? Doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Sounds like American young people. Many, and many are out of work today. No matter what the stock market is doing, un un unemployment is still very, very high. And that, that's not because of laziness, just can't get a job. But here he had believers that were not working. And without work, what did they do? They took the time on their hands to become busybodies, meddlers in other people's affairs. Now such persons would command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. They were coming to the church to be subsidized. He said, you need to work, uh, seek to meet your own needs, and... Uh, Quit meddling. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary of doing good. And what was the good they were doing? They were working on a job. They were feeding people that were hungry. But they were employed. Uh, they were, uh, and he's saying, don't let these loafers, don't let these undisciplined people, these people looking for handouts, these people just got all this time on their hand, uh, standing around, and you're getting up Monday morning, going to the job, working, laboring like God told you, and you're saying, well, man, they're not doing anything. They're just sloughing. Uh, they don't ever seem to hold a job. Why? I mean, how many of you on Monday morning on the way to work say, I thank you, God, I've got a job? Three of you. Has anybody ever been unemployed for three months? I grew up with a depressing father that could talk about waiting at the gate all day and hope you can work all day for a dollar. And every, you could ask, there's three of us boys here. We always was hearing him, thank God for a job. Thank God for a job. I'm, he's the only man I ever heard talk that way. You may do it, but I grew up with that man. Thank God I got a job. I've got a job. I don't want to loaf. I don't want to hang out. I want to make an honest day's living. I want to support my family. And so he says, don't get weary of just work, having a job. Thank God for your job. Thank God he's giving you the means and the health to supply your needs. So he choose right there. Don't, don't lose heart. Look at Luke 18.1. Uh, Luke 18.1. See the second place we look at this. Luke 18.1. Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to what? How's your prayer life? This is an interesting verse. It could be cause and effect. Uh, don't neglect to pray, because if you do, you'll lose heart. And, and I, I like that. I'm not exactly sure that's the exact meaning. Or it could be um, pray and don't lose heart. And then he tells a parable about a woman going to an unjust judge and if she would have given in easy about her request and she would have just thrown in the towel, 
she wouldn't have got what she needed, but she persisted, persisted. She didn't uh, lose heart. She persevered. She got what she needed. Have you ever had one of these things? Well, God, I've asked you three times, and you haven't done it. And so you just throw in the towel, and, and, you, and you just lose heart. Or there's another way I've seen this. Whenever I do not pray about issues, I do lose heart. Have you ever found that true? That you can be in there doing everything, doing, and, and you can lose your heart. Or it's the idea, don't lose heart at this matter of praying. Be like this woman who persevered. Don't give up so quickly. Don't lose heart. Don't become faint. Don't just throw in the towel. Well, let's look at 2 Corinthians. So, when it comes to work, don't lose heart. When it comes to prayer, don't lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4, when it comes to ministry, when it comes to ministry, listen to this. Therefore, being a new covenant minister, since we have this ministry, as we received mercy, we do not lose heart. God has given me a ministry, Paul says. I'm being chewed up and spit out by the Corinthian church. They, it's the most heartbreaking epistle to see how they treated Paul. Bad. I've gone through one thing after another, but he said, I received my assignment from the Lord. And he goes on in verse 2, I'm not a crook. I'm not peddling the word of God. I'm not unethical. But I'm not going to lose heart at doing what God's told me to do. Now, here's a good question for you to answer. What gets done in the body of Christ that God does through you? If you died, would anything be missing in the body? Or are you people that God saved on purpose, gave you a gift on purpose, created you in Christ Jesus for good works, Ephesians 2.10, that you were created with a purpose. I think of Rick Warren's The Purpose uh, Fell Life. So millions of uh, people, no sense. Why am I here? Where am I going? What am I supposed to be doing? Paul was a man, I have a purpose. I have a ministry to fulfill. I'm not going to lose my heart. I'm not going to throw in the towel. If you listen to your heart, if you listen to people, if you listen to circumstances, it'd be easy to resign every week. Throw in the towel. Sunday school teacher. I think of you teaching young ones. They don't write encouragement cards. They don't give you uh, Christmas gifts. Uh, they don't say you're doing a great job. Just think of those who teach our children how little feedback they get from the child themselves. They don't see 45 people on a one Sunday service say, I want Christ. It'd be easy to throw in the towel. Where are the results? What are the perks? Where's the kudos? Good job. 
Good job. Little six-year-olds don't do good job. Keep up the good work, teacher. No, they just don't. Too young. Is there anybody here that you teach because God told you to? You, you do this because God told you to. You're doing that. Whatever it is, it does not matter. But you have a sense of mission under God, not this pastor. I can make you guilty in about one more minute. I know how. It just won't last. Guilt only lasts for that service. It doesn't keep you going. He said, I have this ministry from God. I know what he wants me to do in the body. I therefore do not lose heart. I'm going to keep at it. Verse 16, he uses the same phrase. Uh, therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outward man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. What is he saying there? He's saying, I will not let uh, hard times uh, cause me to give up. My body may be sick. My circumstances may be tough. But I'm not throwing in the towel. I'm staying with it. Uh, I have a purpose, and I'm going to keep at it. Hard times won't make me. My body is going through all kinds of things. Paul was suffering. Eye problems, health problems. Get beat up as much as him. I think you could have arthritis. Seriously. Who knows the health? But I do not lose heart. I do not lose heart. Ephesians 3.13, he uses this phrase, and there it's used, don't uh, lose heart because you see what I'm suffering to be a preacher to the Gentiles. And he's telling the Gentiles, don't lose heart because you see me suffer. Don't lose heart. I think right now we've got Rose Burton dying from leukemia. I got a pastor friend in Oregon dying of leukemia. His wife has leukemia. Oh, we, we've got a, uh, a Jerry Galvin suffering right now, battling his health. We've got a Sandy McNeil whose father could die any moment, has just gone through a severe week of life, death, stopping bleeding in him, uh, getting the cancer under control. There are all kinds of believers I know, good people that are suffering right now. And he's Paul saying, my suffering comes because I've paid a price to bring the gospel to you. But don't get discouraged about it. I do it all over again. I never forget, I was at a um, John MacArthur pastor's conference one year. And uh, when we were there, the last day, Saturday morning, they kept saying, hang out. We're going to wrap up the week. For something special. Well, there being, they had like a patio out there. And when we went there, you had pieces of a plane all over the place. And we thought, that seems a bit strange. And uh, we, we go and we look and you go in the meeting. And so eventually the guest to be presented was uh, Nate Saint's son. Well, Nate Saint was one of five men killed in Ecuador in the 50s, taking the gospel to a remote village and tribe of headhunters. Well, Nate Saint's son was there. Good. He's going to talk to us. 
Nate Saint gets up. He talks a little bit. Then all of a sudden, he says something like this. I would like to introduce you to the man that killed my father. Dayuma, come up here. And this man that he was kind of like this, he looked like he's in his 60s, but he had just like a nervous energy about him. He's just like a boxer. You know, he's just, just like that. Uh, he was just in perpetual motion. And he brings him up, and he starts interviewing him in his tongue. And, and before they go very long in the interview, he said, Dayuma and I would like to sing a song to you in this Ecuadorian dialect. And they sing some praise song. He said, I never dreamed that the man that killed my dad would one day become my brother. Some would say my, my dad and Jim Elliott died in vain. It's stupid. It is stupid to lose five men in one day to a headhunting tribe. What a waste of training. They went through Wheaton College. They'd all been trained in college. They were all intelligent men. They were pilots. They were this and they were that. But before he died, Jim Elliott had written in his journal these words. He is no fool to give up what he cannot keep. Your life. To gain that which you cannot lose. Look at Galatians 6. Don't feel sorry for a martyred church. Don't feel sorry that there are people today being killed in Iran, Iraq, Jordan, and uh, Syria because they are gospel preachers. Do not feel sorry for them. Listen to what he says in verse 6. The one who has taught the word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. What is the verse saying? There ought to be a reciprocal relationship through you being taught the word and taking care of those who teach you. Now, some would limit this just to maybe uh, itinerant preachers, pastors. It, it probably, a, some take it to be a bigger concept. If a local church or whatever ministry is blessing you, some way reciprocate with it. Reciprocate back and forth. We give to you, you give to us. We may be giving you something spiritual, training, whatever. You give something that helps pay the rent or helps uh, me buy tires for the teacher that's broke. Whatever. It's reciprocal. Then he says, do not be deceived. I wonder why he said that. Because we are stupidly deceived. And what are we deceived about? We're not only deceived, but we mock God. And this is very scary. And do not mock God. So two errors. I'm self-deceived, and in my self-deception, I say something astoundingly stupid and sacrilegious about God. And that is this, I deny this principle. God has said, you will always reap what you sow. 
And if you don't believe that principle, you're mocking me and you're deceived. It doesn't matter whether it's good, you'll reap good. If it's bad, you're going to reap bad. If you sow uh, pennies, you're going to reap pennies. If you sow dollars, you reap dollars. If you sow a life, you're going to reap eternal life. Now, what's interesting, he's going to say in verse 8, there's only two fields you can invest your life in. Oh, not three, just two. Just two. One field is rotten. The other field is eternal. Eternal life. Listen to what he says. For the one who sows to his own flesh, whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. That is a principle, whether it's farming, whether it's good, money, service, just anywhere you use that principle, it is true. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. Now, that is strong. That word corruption there is used of a decomposing body. The skin worms are turning it. In Bible lands, you buried within two days. You had no embalmers. You had no uh, cemeteries. Uh, you had no mortuary. You immediately, for the skin worms, turned your loved ones into a stench and into food for worms. That quick. Animals rotted quickly. They had no humane society to come up and put them in a bag. Decomposition happened everywhere. The meat spoiled quickly. No refrigeration. Meat was rare because of the rotting condition of the human situation, whether it's animals, human beings. So he says, he that sows to the flesh, the field, the flesh, sin. He talked about the flesh in chapter 5, all these categories of sin. Just self, maintain physical things, just self, that field. You either sow there or he's giving them another field. You can walk after the flesh or you can walk after the spirit. You can sow after the flesh or you can sow after the spirit. You will reap from the flesh and you will Reap from the Spirit. Now, let's ask ourselves a question. Nate Saint, Jim Elliott, and your three associates, what field did you invest in? The flesh or the Spirit? You got Diuma standing up here, singing and doing his dialect, and look like a just uh, an agitated or an energetic old man, beaming. I believe he got eternal life. Why didn't Saint pour all of his life into making money or making a name or doing something just over here? The American dream, be rich. He said, I'm going to pour myself into the jungles of Ecuador if I could just reach one diuma for Jesus. You idiot! You fool! And Jim says, I'm no fool to give up what I can't keep. I can't keep my life anyway. 
to get what I can never lose. Dayuma, I'm going to be with you in heaven forever. Let's take a Sunday school teacher. How foolish to prepare a lesson on Saturday night for a bunch of kids. Good night. The little sinners, you know. Especially yours. The sinners. Why? Why feed the poor down on Second and McDonald? Good night. Christmas is rolling around. My grandchildren need better gifts. I don't have time. I'll be getting all these donor letters coming from the Bay Area Mission. Help us this time of the year. Hey, I want to help myself. Okay. Well, you do get a bigger turkey. The insanity of these two worlds, these two fields. Our young people today, they have so little to live for. Oh, listen to me, young people. The greatest thing you can do is to pour your young lives into the things of the Spirit, the things of God, the things eternal. I think of my dear wife, saved at eight. And when I met her, she was teaching children. Her grandma and grandpa took her to a church in Martinez, got saved at eight. Her mom and dad were uh, going awry, drinking themselves into a divorce. She poured her young life into church, kids, church, kids, youth group, on down. Her father became so angry when I asked her to marry me because she said, I don't want you to marry a poor, dumb preacher because my dad was poor all of his life. I got a, a job just to get a barbershop haircut because my dad always cut my hair and I was embarrassed. He hated the poverty that he saw his dad go through being a preacher. So he was angry that Carolyn would marry another dumb, poor preacher. And now over 50 years later, we look back. We have more than we could ever imagine. Got more clothes than I can wear for 10 men. I need to empty my closets again. After I give my offering today, I've got more than my father could have ever imagined left. My brother and I, I remember my brother when he moved in with a bag, and in that bag, that grocery bag, was all of his earthly possessions. He was that spent and broke. He and I give away more money to ministry and have more left than 10 men in this building. He just found out what to invest in. The gambler, the money. Then he got right in this church. He started paying for single mother's kids' teeth to get fixed. He started helping single mothers put their kids through school. He started supporting missions. He started mopping our floors. I landed this church. I was, I don't know how many dollars in debt. I was still paying tuition from a master's program in Fresno. I was in debt. I couldn't even rent the house. I rented without my sister co-signing. And the man cussed me. He said, you insult my intelligence by trying to rent my property. I said, why? 
because I asked you what you work at, and you said nothing. You said, what's your income? I said, I don't know. Uh, what's your vocation? I'm a pastor. Oh, what's the name of it? Oh, it hadn't started yet. And he just cussed right there. You dirty uh, book, book. And, and his wife said, calm down, Jack, calm down. And he said, do you think I'm an idiot? I said, my sister will pay you everything that I can't pay. I just need a house. I have no money. You know what God let him do? My contractor that built my house hired him to help put the roof on. And by the time I went there, he said, God has sure brought you a long ways from my apartment. I said, you better believe it. You're a work hand on my house. The boy that couldn't even promise you the rent. I only lasted three months and moved in with my brother. Fools, fools for Christ. Sow in what field? Everything you sow to the flesh can be measured by this. You're going to have to take it to the dump or it's just going to rot anyway. Your house, your clothes, your money, it, it rots in a different way. You pay it all in taxes or somebody robs you. Or something happens. Money once received isn't, doesn't last long. It has a way to fly. Has anyone found out you know the birds? Health, family, visa, wife, they just fly. Where are we sowing? Then he says in verse 9, let us not lose heart in doing good. For in due time, we will reap if we do not grow weary. What is he saying? You can get weary in doing good, just don't get weary of doing good. You can get weary in serving God, in praying, in work, music, teaching lessons, he never promises exemption from getting tired in the work. The issue, don't get tired of the work. And don't lose your heart. Don't lose your heart. I, I want to challenge you in light of uh, don't get weary of doing good. I think of everything from uh, uh, serving in the body to uh, uh, giving. Uh, when I was thinking about this matter, of giving, serving. I thought of the wonderful poetess, Annie Johnson Flint. They took one of her poems and they turned it into a song. And the other day I was going around the house and I said, Carolyn, help me. I don't know this song, but I've just got these one words. This one line's going over and over in my mind. Let's see if anyone's old enough to remember this song. I'll give you free coffee after church <laughs> if you get it. it. The song goes, he, uh, I, won't, I can't do the melody because you'll get, he giveth and giveth and giveth more. Okay. Again, again. It goes this way. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. 
He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, he addeth his mercy. To multiply trials, his multiplied peace. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. Out of his infinite riches in Jesus. Now, I want to bring to your attention that for nearly seven weeks, we have not met our budget in our general fund, which I think is an ambiguous non-grab fund. Lisa says, why don't we name it ministry fund, which is far better. I like that. And I want you to do this chart, bring it up for me. Tim made us a chart. I want to educate you a little bit. When we say general fund, uh, we've been missing it by uh, 20, 25,000 a week. So we're, we're uh, what are we now? About 60, 70,000 in the red. Now, our building program, man, you're excelling. I commend you. I mean, we're paying extra principal. I commend you. I commend you. Thank God. Agape fund, doing great. Missions fund, God's blessed. I mean, you're giving somewhere. I'm not here to rebuke. I'm here to educate you a bit. But if we don't support the general fund, uh, we, we shut down operations. We just dispense with all of our missions giving, give it away, and say we don't function anymore. Why? Because our operations come out of general. But nobody gets a burden and says, oh, I just feel burdened in the night to give to the general fund. It just, it just grabs me. What you get the burden for is missions. You ought to. It's wonderful. Uh, agape, helping the poor. And maybe pay off this building. That, that's wonderful. Can't, can't fault any of that. But if we don't have a priority that over here, our next year's budget, we're already working on, so far we've dropped $150,000. I don't know how many more thousands we'll have to drop. I, I just hope we don't have to lay off people. We may have to. We're not above it. We will lay off. We've got to be in budget. And out of this, just to give you an idea, uh, you can't probably see that print. We may give you a copy next week. Uh, out of that, we pay. You know how much our utility bill is a year? So I take a guess. What is it? About $120,000. That's about 2000 a week, 2000 a week. Now, and we have to pay, let's see, 8000 a week rent. So that's 10000 a week. Now, I said, I don't have a burden for utilities. I know you don't. I know you don't. I don't have a burden for, uh, you know, paying the, the water bill. I don't care if we flush or not. Oh, you don't. Well, let me educate you. We have to. They just, I know we hired someone from PG&E, but we haven't got a discount yet. <laughs> uh, utilities, landscaping, maintenance, painting, postage. How much postage do we pay a year? 
about 15,000, 20,000. That's just to send you a letter that you throw in the trash. Uh, worship ministry, sound, light, women's ministry, salaries, benefits, insurance, awanas, early childhood, nursery, elementary, an adult Sunday school, all junior high, seniors, funerals. We pay for the food and accommodate the counseling ministry, ushers, greeters, uh, ESL classes, men's ministry, office equipment, core values, enlistment, grief share, counseling ministry, greeters, security, coffee carts, citizenship, mugs, evangelism material. You don't want to know it all? Who pays for it? Let's pray, but let's just kind of, let's see, who pays for that? Me, because I give to it. What do you do? Why have we fallen off in the last seven weeks? Now, I've got to tell you something that Robert Richardson says and confesses. He croaked in our last stewardship program. Now, by the way, I'm talking to the family. Am I not right? How many unsaved people just can't stand this? We could excuse you right now if you need to go. I've talked to the family. Is there any family believers here? Anybody call this your home church? So someone get this, oh, you get to care about money. Oh, yeah, you're the family, right? You care. I mean, you're just burning up to write a check. So I got to get it before you give it to Santa. Uh, is that uh, um, Robert said, I did not want to be in your last stewardship program. And, and he was of a uh, negative spirit. He was not a, a help a whole lot. Robert, get the tape. May God bless you. It's true, you weren't. It was some of those on staff that pulled together, and you people, because he said, you're promoting two things at the same time, and you can't do it. I don't want to be a part of it. What is that? You're going to try to teach the people to give over and above giving, when over here, they're not even measuring up to regular giving. How can you do both? We said, we don't know, but we got to have both. We've got to cover the mortgage, and we've got to teach people to support our general fund, or else we're not going to make it. And he said, you can't do it. You can't do it. Well, uh, we have the largest commitment to the building fund. I think it's 2.7, 2.8. So it was large, the largest we ever had. Plus, so many of you, as we went through the giving, generous giving book, uh, many jumped on board and became regular givers so that we started meeting the budget. We were flying because many of you that give less than $300 a year to this church and God's Word, you're not a giver. You never learned to give. And some of you have either fallen back or maybe regular givers have lost heart, given up. Let me say this. There's no place for giving up until we're home. I'm not going to give up in praying. I'm not going to stop preaching. I'm not going to stop loving God, stop serving, stop giving. Ruth Fox got me after first service. She said, oh, that they could discover the joy of giving, and they'll never worry about fatigue. The fatigue is setting on your money and not giving it to the cause of Christ. And let me say this. I find a lot of times businessmen, they get challenged by these bigger challenges. They get challenged by this organization because they'll pursue them more. And uh, 
I went to uh, a church. Uh, I went through a doctorate with a man that pastored a large church in New Jersey. He wanted me to succeed him. He's about 12 years older than me. And he talked to his elders and said, I found the preacher to succeed me. And so they, they had me go back. And they, I went back there, wealthy, wealthy church. All the guys worked in New York City, wealthiest county in New Jersey. And I'm there and uh, wealthy, wealthy, white collar. I knew I didn't fit. This crowd was too, uh, too well trained. They were up there. But I asked Earl, I said, Earl, tell me something. Did you have any major setbacks or uh, heartbreaks pastoring uh, this church? He said, oh, mainly one. I said, what's that? What was that? He said, well, he said, uh, wait till we go to church tomorrow. Okay. We, we go to church the next day. They're landlocked, uh, beautiful setting. They had no parking. The church had grown to about 1,500. They had no place to park. Uh, they were just uh, very limited. And uh, then that day he said, this is my disappointment. I said, tell me about it. He said, we had 15 acres, 15 to 20 acres that came open for us next door that we could have bought for a song and a dance. Very cheap. Us being a church, this group wanted to make it available as cheap as possible, prime land next to the church. He said, wow, it was just a godsend. We go to the board. We presented this wonderful offer. One of the board members spoke up, and these were his profound words that changed everything. He said, we are not in the land business, but in the soul business. We are about souls and not about land. Oh, that makes sense, doesn't it? We're about souls. Okay. Swept the board. They took the decision. Turned it down. Don't need it. Very interesting that within a matter of a month to six months, the board member bought the land for himself and developed it and became a wealthy, wealthy man. And the church became landlocked, and their growth is stunted. They can't hardly grow much more because there's no place to park. It goes against all city codes. But we're not here for anything but souls. Let me tell you something. I'm in it for souls, but there's got to be some place you park your car, some place that you hang your hat, some place you warm the building, some place you do something. So you've got to have money because we're dealing with the material. We've just turned it into spiritual riches. We're using it for God, not for ourselves. So I challenge you. We've got nine weeks till the end of the year, nine weeks after today. And I'm trusting God that we meet our budget. Uh, what if we don't? Uh, I'm going to still be giving. I'm still going to stay happy. And by God's grace, I'm not going to have a nervous breakdown. <laughs> uh, but I think you ought to be thinking end of the year giving. How could we eliminate the $60,000 deficit? How do we do our budget every week of $45,000? i have had two pastors get a hold of me recently. One pastor says, we can't meet our budget of $2,500 a week. 
what are we going to do? I said, well, I wouldn't tell the saints. They might get a burden. Don't tell the saints. Let them coast. They, folks don't want to hear about money. They're having giving fatigue by loaning. I know some folks are tired from doing nothing. I've had surgeries before, and if you just lay in the bed for a week after back surgery, you know what? You lose all your strength. You get so tired at doing nothing, you can't imagine doing something. And some of you have for so long done nothing. This is almost you're exhausted. Well, honey, let me get you over it. I would like to give you a shot of one-a-day vitamins and say, start running with all your might. You've only got a little while to invest in the right field. Invest in things eternal, and you'll never have any regrets. No regrets. want the worship team to come. I want the ushers to lock the back doors. <laughs> and uh, we're going to receive our offering. And some of you didn't come prepared to give, so I would say this. Just reach forward and get the person's wallet in front of you. And give like you've always wanted to, okay? Ushers, would you come? Our Father, we thank you that we can give with hilarity because you have outdone us. You have given us so much. How could we ever, ever keep up with you? And let us shatter all these man-made excuses about praying, I'm tired, giving, I'm tired, Teaching Sunday school, I'm tired. Lord, let us next week consider that the eternal never gets tired. You've never stopped feeding us, clothing us, waking us up. You just keep giving and giving and giving out of your infinite riches in Jesus. You keep giving. We're the stingy ones, not you. You're the giving one. And the majority of the race will never say thank you. The majority will never come back and offer you anything. We come back with joy and say, what a God that you'd give me anything to give you back. We do it with thanksgiving. Bless this offering. Remove this deficit in the night, next nine weeks and let us, let us abound in every good work. Let not money, let not money keep us from good works. I pray. Let us take it out of the hands of Hollywood. Let us take it out of the hands of things that aren't good for us. Let us take it out of the hands of the flesh and put it in the field of the Spirit. Oh, I'm so glad that Nate Saint and Jim died for Diuma. They died taking in the gospel. And Jesus, you died for him on a tree outside of Jerusalem to die for that pagan headhunter in the jungles of Ecuador. I'll be with him forever in heaven because Jesus gave, gave, and gave, and gave. Amen.